Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Today is part five, but if you've missed any of the others, don't worry about that too much uh, because they kind of, they're all standalone messages. Uh, and you can always go to the app or to iTunes or whatever your uh, streaming service is and uh, download the other messages and listen to those or stream those, whatever you do. And uh, yeah, I really encourage you. We, we have uh, quite a large listening audience online, which is really, really encouraging. Uh, in fact, there's more people listen online than actually do uh, of a Sunday morning, which is, you know, it's, it's really good. So our reach is broader. And uh, in this digital age, that's an important thing. Um, so part five today, and I really hope that you have learned our key text, uh, which will go up on the board there, and we're going to read this together from Luke 1 and 37. Go, for nothing is impossible with God. We'll say that one more time with a bit of conviction. Uh, Luke 1, 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Fantastic. Uh, it's so important for us to live according to the truths of God's Word, even when sometimes the truths of God's Word don't necessarily reflect our experience. Uh, because the truth is the truth. And this is what faith is all about. It's actually bridging the gap between what we experience in the natural and what God's promises, which are a yes and amen, what they say. They are the truth. And so I've been saying through this series that I pray that we would be inspired in faith to reach out to a God who is limitless, a God who has uh, no boundaries, a God who uh, is able to do all things. And so because God is able to do all things, particularly as we looked at in last week's um, uh, message, He is able to do all things in and through us because we are now under Jesus we are the church. We are the new temple. And the way God chooses to work in the world today is through born-again believers. If you're a Christian in this place this morning, God has chosen you and called you for a purpose. But sometimes we don't feel like we are worthy of that purpose. And so I want to talk about this morning what it is that counts us worthy. How, how do we uh, become a people whom God can use. And uh, I am going to retell a story that I certainly haven't for quite a number of years in this church, but just the, the story of, of carrying my call into ministry and, you know, just how that unfolded and how it evolved and how God uh, revealed His call upon our lives. And I, I pray this would encourage you. But what is your qualification for ministry? I love this passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 1 and 26 which says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. Everybody say, God chose. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not 
to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I love the fact that God's way of doing things is almost the opposite of the way that we in the natural would go about doing things and accomplishing things. Because for us, we set the bar really high for those qualified to do important tasks and jobs. And so we go for the people who know their stuff. And certainly vocationally that's true and there's reason for that. We want expertise. But in the kingdom of God and in the, working of the workings of God, it almost seems the opposite. Where God's not choosing the qualified, but he's saying every single one of us is called and the material that God uses is really base material. So if you're feeling uh, a little foolish, if you're feeling a little weak this morning, you need to thank God and praise God that that's the very material that he chooses to use. Why? So that no one may boast before him and so that his power might be evident in and through us. And I want to unpack that this morning. But I love this passage of Scripture because when you were called, what were you when you were called? And, and every single one of us was called the moment we said yes to Jesus. Because with your salvation comes a calling. I've said this through this series. God didn't create you to, to, to take up space. God created you to impart into your life, into your heart, the global mission that God commissioned his disciples way back then to say, go and make disciples of all men. We are called to be disciple makers. Now, our part in that varies. And I love, I love the, uh, the creative hand of God that gives every single person in this room a unique temperament, a unique set of gifts, unique passions, unique interests, unique personalities. And all of those things go to make this wonderful tapestry that when we go out into the world, we, we make unique connections. And so there's people that you are wired to connect with that perhaps I'm not wired to connect with. And so God uses this incredible creative diversity that he has put into our DNA to reach the world that is out there around us. And again, our role, our part in that disciple-making-ship process, it's not a cookie-cutter thing. You know, some people are great preachers. Some people are great evangelists. Others just have a heart for the lost and just have a heart for people and just love to pick up the stragglers. And so we have this diverse expression of ministry giftings that God has placed in our hearts. And here's the question. Um, who represents the ministry of this church? Don't stick your hand up. Just think about that. Who represents the ministry of this church? Because if in response to that question, you automatically think of our paid pastors and our ministry leaders and our worship team and all that sort of stuff, if you kind of defer to that in your thinking, uh, you need to change your thinking. Uh, I remember very, very clearly many years ago being welcomed into a church that I was ministering at. And, and the pastor said, uh, we've got Peter Shirley here ministering with us this morning. And he said, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to the, to the worship team and the ministry team. And then he swept his hand across the congregation and said, I'd like to also introduce you to the other 150 ministers in this church. And it was so cool. Because we are called together as one body of Christ to play our part in God's mission. And we're all qualified according to this. Because that's who God chooses. God has chosen you. 
The pulpit is here to equip. Your leaders are here to engage and to encourage and to mobilize. And and I'm so looking forward to a new season where we're going to have a permanent worship facility that's going to enable us to do that in, in a far greater way. And we need to realize that God is shifting us and God is moving us, not just so we continue to do what we're doing in this place, but so that we'll be so much more effective in what we're doing. We'll be so much more coordinated in what we're doing. Our presence within this community will be so much stronger because of that permanent place of worship. So I'm excited about that, but I'm excited because I know already God is tapping people on the shoulder and vision is being birthed. You see, friends, you are a minister in this church and we're not all called to vocational ministry. But let me interject in my own statement by saying this. We need to be encouraging our youth and our kids' life kids out there this morning that vocational ministry is a worthy vocation to be pursuing. In fact, it is a high call. If God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you in vocational ministry, I want you to live 24-7 on mission for me, uh, we're going to be encouraging that. We're going to see our Bible colleges filled in this age where that doesn't seem like a terribly popular career path anymore. But in saying that, our movement, ACC, our college is exploding. In the next five years, they're hoping it will be fully registered as Australia's first non-Catholic Christian university, which is amazing. And that is getting great traction. We are, we, are, we are stretching towards that and it's being accelerated and we're so excited about that. But when we think about our children, about their future, I think we stop short of thinking, hey, vocational ministry uh, is an opportunity for them that we should encourage them towards. But if you see that within them, encourage, that to, encourage them towards that because it is a great call. It's an awesome call. And uh, Kerry and I could not escape that call. We've got to develop a, an expectation in our hearts that God wants to use you, that God wants to use me, that he wants to use us. And again, through this series, this God Can series, is developing that faith expectation that lifts our eyes towards the possibilities that we have in God because we are all part of the body of Christ. Do you expect great things from God? This morning, I want to talk about a few attitudes that often sideline us or often cause us to be ineffective. And the first one is this, which we've kind of already alluded to. Uh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I'm not worthy. I, I can't be used in any way that, that would be significant. I'm not worthy. And, and listen, we, we are our own worst enemy at times. Because again, we set the bar really high when we think about the kinds of people we think God would choose to use. And we have this expectation up here and we see ourselves down here somewhere and we go, you know what, the gap between here and the gap between my perception of what I think it takes is very, very wide, so I've got a lot of work to do. So, and, and we say things to ourselves like, well, you know, maybe one day. Maybe one day when there's less pressure. Maybe one day when there's less demands upon my time. Maybe one day when my workload is less. Uh, maybe one day when the children are a little bit older. Uh, maybe one day when I can be the prayer warrior that I want to be, that I can wake up at 5 a.m. and pray for an hour and then spend the next hour reading my Bible. Maybe then I will be positioned and prepared and ready for God to use me in a significant way. Friends, if you're waiting for that perfect day, let me 
discourage you this morning. That's never going to come. That's never going to come. What we've got to realize is that we are on mission now. And if you've got young children, right there is your greatest mission, first of all. But then to say, okay, God, what can I be doing right now? Now, listen, I'm not excusing a, uh, a lack of discipline to the things that are going to allow us to grow in God. We should be a people of prayer. We should be a people of God's word. We should be committed in fellowship. We should be committed to serving. Those things help us grow in an understanding of God. Those things help us engage in God's work. But God is saying, but there's more. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. But don't develop an attitude that sidelines you because you place a whole bunch of expectations on yourself that God never places on you. And God says, no, I've called you. I'm using you. I want to use you right now in the midst of your circumstances, even though you see there's a million reasons why right now is not good. God's saying, I am calling the simple. What does it say? Uh, the, those who don't think they're wise, the foolish things of this world, the weak things, the lowly things of this world, the despised things. That, that's the material that God uses. And we should be saying, okay, God, uh, maybe I think I'm not worthy, but you count me worthy. And in Christ Jesus, I have all that I need to do what you've called me to do. Can I hear an amen this morning? So that's attitude number one or mindset number one that sometimes causes us to be ineffective and unproductive. Um, I... I uh, I find this next one uh, really interesting because it's a little harder to detect. <clears throat> and it's this attitude or this mindset, very common in the church. Uh, I know what I'm good at, so that's what I'll do. I know what I'm good at, so that's what I'll do. On the surface, that doesn't sound like a prohibitive mindset, but it can be if that's where we leave it. And every single one of us have unique gifts, unique talents, unique abilities, and they are God-given. But if all you do in service to God is offer what you are naturally good at doing, then you are going to limit what God wants to do. I uh, heard many years ago this wonderful analogy of the church. And this guy said it was, um, the church is often found like a man who cut his hand mowing the lawn one day and his wife sent him off to the hospital. And he got to the hospital, walked in through the front doors and he found himself in a room and there was just two doors. One was marked male, one was marked female. So he goes through the door marked male. He gets into that room and there's two more doors. One's marked over 40, the other one's marked under 40. He goes through the door marked over 40. He gets into that room and there's two more doors. One's marked upper body, the other one's marked lower body. He looks at his hand, goes through the door marked upper body. Gets into that room and there's two more doors. One's marked external, the other one's marked internal. He goes through the door marked external, gets into that room and there's two more doors. One's marked serious, the other one's marked not serious. He goes through the door marked not serious and finds himself back out in the car park. And he gets home to his wife and she says, well, did they help you? And he said, no, but they sure were organized. 
Now, when you think about the point of that story, it hurts. Because if all you and I do is just present as an expression of service to the church and to God our natural talents and abilities, we'll be a nice functioning organization, but we will be no different to a Lions Club or an Apex Club or a Rotary Club, and they are fine community organizations. But the church is more than just a fine community organization. And I can go to any one of those places and I can have fellowship in inverted commas with people who believe very similar things to to what I do. Uh, I can go to those places and sit under at times some motivational speaking. I can certainly get very uh, actively engaged and involved with community projects. But friends, what is it that sets the church apart? What is the key for fruitful, effective ministry? 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. You see, friends, the number one thing that sets the church apart from the world is that as believers, born again believers in Christ Jesus, at the moment we were saved, at the moment we turned to Him in faith for, for, for salvation, the Holy Spirit took up residence and we are now empowered by a God who can to do His work to fulfill his mission, to fulfill his calling for our lives, to function as the body of Christ, to do what we can't do ourselves in our own strength, in our own talent, in our own abilities. Zechariah 4 and 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Yes, it is so important that we offer our gifts, that we offer our talents, that we offer our vocational skills, but we've got a hunger for something more. Father, what is it that you have deposited uniquely within me by your Holy Spirit that you have called me to do, that I cannot do in my gift set, that I cannot do uh, in my vocational expertise? What is it? I love in Acts chapter 4 when the church is absolutely exploding. Uh, the, the, the apostles uh, developed a reputation as men who were turning their world upside down. And in the first part of Acts, that was contained to the city of Jerusalem. So they were, they were turning Jerusalem upside down. And the powers that be didn't really like what was going on with so many converting to Christ. And uh, Peter and John were actually arrested after healing a cripple on the Sabbath. And they're dragged before the Jewish court to speak in their defense, understanding this is a very, very hostile court. They wanted these guys sidelined, imprisoned uh, at best. Picking up at verse 5, the next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So in a contemporary context, in a courtroom setting, here's the charge. Speak in your defense. This is your opportunity. I can just see, look, if I was in a similar situation, 
knowing what a dire situation this was, knowing that this was such a hostile environment. I think I, if I was the Peter uh, in this story and sitting there with John perhaps in an anteroom off to the side being brought into the court, uh, I'd be saying, hey, John, this isn't looking real good, mate. Uh, you know, they want a sidelined. I don't know what that looks like, but it's not good. Uh, so we really got to do some fancy talking. Uh, I've got an idea. And uh, here's the charge. Speak in your defence. Uh, guys, really sorry. Um, my watch stopped. We forgot it was the Sabbath. And um, uh, look, we didn't really mean to cause offence. And um, if we can just do a little bit of community service, if we can wash your chariots, if we can... Uh, look, just really, really, really sorry. Can we go now, please? That's what I would have done. But I love this as we continue reading. Then Peter, and here's the operative words, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and let me pause there because if you know anything about the background of Peter, Peter wasn't the one to always display great courage. But he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men to which we must be saved. I can just see John over in the corner going, what are you doing? Because in the natural, that is about the worst defense that you could ever give if you wanted to get off that charge. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel. And what happens in verse 13? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want this church to have that reputation. Unschooled, ordinary men, the weak, the foolish. But I've seen a courage, I've seen a boldness, I've seen something that I can explain in no other terms other than you guys have been with Jesus. That there is something real and tangible about the Jesus that we talk about and sing about and hear about every time we come in here on a Sunday morning or a life group or whatever happens in your world during the week. That there is something tangible that people look and go, you're different. You're different. Now, I don't know anything about God, but there seems to be some traction in this faith that you profess. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I was a professional musician for uh, many years. I left school at 14 um, simply because nothing uh, was of interest to me except music. 
so a deal was made uh, with my teachers, parents, student guidance, counsellors, all of those people in the room, that I should commit to studying, uh, my, completing my classical violin studies uh, part-time and to complete my school certificate part-time uh, in an external school environment. Uh, so I left school and continued my violin studies and the school certificate bit didn't happen. Another story. I started playing professionally in pubs and clubs up and down the east coast of Australia um, when I was 16, which is an interesting environment for a very immature, insecure young man to find himself, eager to please, uh, did wonders for my mother's prayer life. <laughs> and at the age of 23, God tapped me on the shoulder. And I suddenly realised that all of this ambition, all of this passion towards music was an empty pursuit. And I prayed a prayer and I, I can know exactly where it was. And I just said, God, if you're real, if you are who the Bible says you are, if you've got a plan and a purpose for my life and for the gifts and the abilities that I think you have given me, I want to know what that's all about. And my life just changed. And from that moment, I began praying a prayer that went like this. God, I want to play music for you. 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 That prayer went on for three years in one form or another, probably every day. And I remember exactly again where and when it was that that prayer changed slightly but really significantly. Because I had had just no answer to that prayer. It was like heaven was silent. So maybe it was a prayer prayed out of frustration of that. But I prayed this prayer and I said, God, I want to serve you, even if it means never playing music again. And it was like God said, now you're ready. Because we can go to God with an agenda that says, well, God, this is what I want to do for you. And whilst the heart of that was right, you know what I was limiting God with? I was limiting God with the fact that that's what I know how to do. I'm a musician. It's all I've ever done. It's my greatest passion. So God, I translate that to this is what I want to do for you. This is what I want to do for you. This is what I want to do for you. And God's going, I got more. I've got more. And the heart needs to change. The motivation needs to change. Sadly, it took three years, but God was doing stuff in that time as well. And finally, the doors for this ministry opened because I had a heart shift that says, God, it's not about what I want to do for you. It's, what about, it's what you are doing that I can be a part of. Because so often we go to God with an agenda that says, God, this is what I want to do for you. Now bless it. God is not obliged to bless your good ideas. Now, he does birth wonderful vision and he blesses that. But it's God birthed. And yes, some of those ideas are God birth. We've got to discern what that is. But our prayer should be, God, what is it that you are doing? What is it that you are blessing? And how have you wired me to be a part of that? 
And so uh, from that point, uh, musically, doors opened up. I got signed to Word Records. Uh, I recorded half a dozen or so albums under that label, toured with a whole bunch of American artists. And uh, for the first six months of our ministry, I think I was support artist for uh, three uh, American touring artists touring through Australia. And really, I was just using those opportunities to connect with people all over the country and, and say, hey, we'd love to come back, we'd love to come back. And I was handing out cards left, right and centre. And uh, at the end of that first year, um, we started getting phone calls of people saying, we'd love you to come back. One of the first opportunities we had was, we were living in Brisbane at the time, was to go down to Canberra and be part of a youth camp down there and uh, to do some music and particularly do a big concert on the, on the Saturday night. And uh, we thought, oh, that'll be awesome, fantastic. Because until this point, it was just God playing music for you, playing music for you, playing music for you. Uh, so we, we prepared and we took a team of five down with us, had a little band. But two weeks before the camp... God started just doing something in my heart and I felt an incredible burden for these young people that were going to be on this camp. And I'm going, I don't know what that is. That's just really, really weird. But the closer the camp got, I just couldn't shake this, that it was like God was putting on my heart the responsibility of challenging these young people in regards to where they stood with God. And I'm like, that's not my job, God. But we got to the camp, and on the Friday night as we arrived, we just got together with the camp leaders. There's about 90 young people on this camp. And uh, I said, hey, guys, it's so good to be here and just really weird. But in the, in the lead up to this camp, as I've prayed and just prepared for this, I really believe that God wants me to bring a challenge tomorrow night at the concert. Uh, and uh, I just put it out there. Well, when that meeting was finished, the guy who was kind of in charge came over to me and said, um, Peter, what is it you want to do tomorrow night? And I said, oh, look, I don't know, but I just feel I, I really need to challenge these kids in regards to their relationship with God. And he said, why do you think that's necessary? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, this is a Christian camp. They're all Christian kids. And I said, oh, okay, how, how can you know that? And he said, well, let, it, let me put it another way. We have two camps during the year. This is the fun getting to know you camp. And then later on, we have a more deep spiritual camp. I just don't think it would be an appropriate thing for the concert tomorrow night. Now, a mixture of emotions. First of all, confusion. Did I hear God wrong? But the second, a huge relief that I don't have to do that. Awesome. The next morning... I woke up and this deep conviction within me remained and I couldn't shake it. Then the cavalry arrived because there was a pastor who came who was going to do a brief just sort of Bible study that morning. And I got alongside of him and I said, oh, so cool. Just as I've prayed and prepared just tonight at the concert, I just really feel God wants me to give a challenge to these young people. And he looked at me rather strangely. He said, Peter, what do you think that's necessary? He said, what do you mean? He says, it's a Christian camp. They're all Christian kids. I said, how can you know that? And he said, Peter, let me put it another way. We have two camps during the year. This is the fun getting to know you camp. Later on, we have the deep spiritual camp. Just don't think it would be appropriate. And I'm like, oh, what is going on? And what I realized with hindsight is that the devil was trying to steal the seed of vision that God was sowing into our ministry at such a critical point. And so as a team, we just prayed all that afternoon. Suddenly we felt we were no longer welcome. And we set up and did our sound checks for the concert that night. And uh, 
just before all the kids came in, we're just off to a room in the side, just praying with this team. And uh, just before the concert started, we're just saying, God, just bless the night, bless the night, bless the night, and we're all in agreement. I'm basically walking through a door to go onto the stage, and I feel a grab on the elbow, and I look back, and here's this pastor going, no altar call, no altar call. I'm like, cool. Well, guys, it's great to be here. We feel really welcome. And I've got to tell you, uh, I don't get nervous ever when I have to play music. Uh, I dealt with nerves years and years ago in regards to performance. We played for about two hours. Uh, and then towards the end... My heart starts racing. I feel a pounding in my neck. My hands had gone clammy. And all I could think of was, I just can't shake this conviction. God, you've called me to do this. And I'm thinking, this is going to be the first and last thing I ever do in ministry. <laughs> and I couldn't look at anybody. Thankfully, there were lights, so I couldn't really see what was going on. But I could see silhouetted down the back all the leaders of this camp looking like bouncers at a nightclub. <laughs> standing there like this and listen I, I got no idea what I, I look I had I had been performing for years but I had never ever ever shared anything meaningful a testimony shared the gospel this was new ground and I wish I had a tape of it because I'm sure it would be good for a laugh but I just stumbled my way through some kind of gospel message and I prayed and then called for a response and I'll never forget, there was 33 first-time decisions for Jesus. And at that moment, God put in my heart just a passion for, for the lost, a passion particularly for kids. And... Uh, it trumped, absolutely trumped any career high, professional high, musical high, whatever. It just lit something in my spirit as I saw the transformational power of God at work. Sorry, I don't know why I'm so emotional this morning. It's 30 years ago. And I'm looking out at these kids, thinking, now what do I do? And thankfully, the Holy Spirit kicked in because with no instruction, these kids just all broke off in little groups. And I, you just have those moments where you go, God is so at work right now. You, the, the tangible presence of God in that place was amazing. And when I tell you that this was an extremely traditional denomination, you perhaps understand some of the reluctance. But these kids just were praying together. And this went on, I'm not, I'm not kidding, at least 40 minutes. And all you could hear was just these whispered prayers and kids sobbing as they were giving their hearts to Jesus. And it was just absolutely incredible. 
And, and I was just on some kind of high going, God, you have just given me this revelation. And the pastor eventually made his way down to me and lent in and he said, I knew it would go one way or the other. After the camp, we're driving back to Brisbane up the Hume. I am on an absolute high. And probably too much of a high. I'm driving like thinking, this is awesome. Billy Graham, look out. (laughs) Because it's in those victory moments the devil loves to appeal to your ego. We got back to Brisbane and uh, still on a high. This is just amazing. And I got a phone call from a lady just out of the blue. She said, Peter, I work with SU in one of the local high schools. Uh, would you come in and do a concert at lunchtime? And I, I'm going, absolutely, we'd love to. And uh, this, we hadn't been anywhere near a high school at this point. I've just been on concert stages. And part of my justification is we've got nothing else to do on a Thursday at lunchtime. So absolutely. And we went into this school, set up our gear in the in the playground area and the bell rang for lunchtime, 800 kids filed out, 750 of them ignored us and the other 50 threw things at us. God certainly brought me back a pig or two. And, and I've got to be serious, I'm looking out at these kids thinking, God, I hate them. <laughs> I want to go home. Uh, Again, we packed up and I went home and I got down on my knees and I said, God, if this is where you want me, you've got to break my heart for these kids because I feel nothing for them. You need to give me wisdom and favour and authority in their environment. You've got to give me an understanding of their culture because they look like a bunch of Martians to me. And I gave God this, this, what I perceived was an impossible list. Got off my knees thinking I was safe because there's no way that God could do that in me. Guess what? That was the start of 15 years of high school and college ministry. And I I praise God and I've shared some stories around that. But I just praise God. Looking at my inability, uh, you know, that prayer basically said, God, if I can't do it, you can't do it. And we saw hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of young people who said, I want to take a a step of faith and begin a journey with Jesus. And then in 2003, God put into our hearts the vision for this church. Simple, ordinary, everyday people. And what he needs us to be, friends, is have enough faith, enough sense of calling, be walking close enough with Jesus that when we hear the call, even though we might be full of doubts, we say, yes, here I am, use me. I stand in awe of this church each and every day for the journey, for the pains along the way, but for the Incredible joys that outweigh the heaviness that as a senior leader you sometimes carry. Shouldn't say sometimes, often carry. But that's the pains of leadership. And God is doing a good thing.
I love the disciples' interactions with Jesus, that you see this story weave through the Gospels of these simple, ordinary, everyday young guys and girls that followed Jesus, that were obedient to the call of discipleship. These people had a privilege that you and I don't. In that, they lived every moment of every day in the very presence of Jesus himself. That would be a pretty cool place to get your training, wouldn't it? But the encouragement to you and I should be that even though these people lived every single moment in the presence of Jesus himself, first-hand witnesses to his teaching, first-hand witnesses to his miracles, and they still doubt it. They still doubted themselves. They still doubted his call. They still doubted. They, 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 they still lacked the faith. And friends, it gives me confidence that when I doubt, God perseveres with me because he's called me. That when I'm fearful, God perseveres with me. When I don't bear faithful witness, God still perseveres with me. God loves you and he has set a call on your life. There is a call upon the life of this church. And it's not about what we do up the front. It's about how we enable you to effectively live your life for the glory of Jesus. I invite the team to come back up and just want to share one more lesson that God showed to us early in our ministry that puts to bed another wrong mindset that we sometimes have. So our ministry in high schools had begun and we got a call from a group of Christian students meeting in one of the larger schools on the outskirts of Brisbane in a, quite a, a, a poor socioeconomic area. And a uh, huge school. There was over 2,000 students in the school. Uh, these young, energetic, passionate Christians in their school said, we want to start a Wednesday fellowship. We'd love you guys to come. There's an, an amphitheater area, outdoor amphitheater. Just come and, uh, and do a concert uh, on a Wednesday at lunchtime just so we can promote the fact that every Wednesday lunchtime we're going to be having Christian fellowship in the, church, in the school. And we said, yeah, absolutely, come. And so we, we came and again set up all our gear. And there's about 300 kids sat around at lunchtime. And probably a couple of songs in, um, there was this group of young guys. I mean, you can imagine a school setting in an amphitheater. There's nobody sitting in the front row. But five or six young guys came in and deliberately positioned themselves in the front row right in front of us. And uh, they were there not to listen but to disrupt. And they did a really good job. And they just kept calling out and swearing, just doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, I wish they'd shut up. And uh, again, I was incredibly distracted, but I stayed on task and just shared a bit of my testimony, shared the gospel. Uh, and uh, the louder we got, the louder they got, the more determined we got, the more determined they got. And it was this tussle going on the whole time. And uh, in the end, I, uh, I declared defeat and uh, just thought these guys won. Uh, and just in my frustration, I remember we packed the gear back in the van and I was driving back home and I was thinking, honestly thinking to myself, God, what a waste of time that was. We could have been somewhere else doing something better with our time. Just develop this foul attitude. 
developing another mindset or succumbing to a mindset that says, you know, what we see in the natural is reflective of what God is doing supernaturally. And God's greater than that. God's, you know, I gave in. I was saying, God, you're, you're no bigger than five or six young guys sitting down the front of a concert. Anyway, I pushed it to the back of my mind, tried to forget about it. And uh, I got a phone call about two weeks later from a young guy. He said, Peter, I'm, I just looked you up. I, I just wanted to phone and thank you for the impact that you've had in my girlfriend's life. And I said, oh, how's that? And he said, a couple of weeks ago, you came to her school and he mentioned the name of the school. I said, oh, I remember that. That was a real hoot. And he said, Peter, one thing you may not know is that after your presentation that lunchtime, my girlfriend gave a heart to Jesus. And I felt about this big. What right did I have to doubt that God wouldn't use what we had to bring in that environment? Might it in the natural seemed like a hostile environment, but God broke through. And it brought to mind this passage of Scripture, and I think I referred to this in part two of this series. But from Isaiah 55 and 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I thank this young guy. I said, mate, I have learned such an important lesson. And he said, Peter, one other thing you need to know is that last week my girlfriend was killed in a car accident. And friends, you and I are called to be Jesus to this world that by His Holy Spirit living in and through us, those around us would see and they would be astonished and take note that we have been with Jesus. And friends, I encourage you to press into God. Stop hiding behind what you feel are valid excuses as to why God can't use you. And start to say, God, here am I. Use me. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be record, rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I like the King James there. He says, we are labourers together with God. And friends, you and I are laborers together. We, we, we take up that call and we say, God, how have you called me? How have you wired me? What can I give as a deposit of Jesus to someone else? And how you do it's going to be different to how I do it. The passions that God has on your heart, the people that God attracts you to, those that you have influence in your world, it all looks different. And that's the beauty of God's church. But we've got to live our lives on mission because it's not about us, it's about Him. 
And when God calls us, there is no task He does not equip us for because, friends, God can. Can I hear an amen?